0: everybody doing this morning? Good, good. And I'm honored and privileged to be able to share the word with you today. I'm just thankful for the opportunity. I'm thankful for our church. Um, So today, uh, I want us to dive into a subject that I think will be helpful for all of us if we can understand it rightly and apply it to our lives. And it comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And beginning in verse 23, I'll read that for us, and we'll jump right in. Verse 23, it says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I'm going to pray for us. Lord Jesus uh, God, I just thank you for this time that we get to get into your word, God. That we get to hear from you. We we understand that when we open your word, we're not just opening uh, up something that's well written by by just a, a person, but God, that your Spirit authored each uh, each word on every page of our Bible. God, that you spoke through man. Uh, all that you wanted us to have to understand, to grow in godliness and to be more like you, Jesus. So God, in this time, we just wanna take it seriously. God, we wanna uh, open our hearts to what you'd have to speak to us. We don't wanna just receive it with our minds, but with our spirits, God. So Lord, open our open our eyes, open our minds. Help us to receive what you, your word says and to apply it to our lives, Jesus. We love you. In your name, amen. <laughs> So uh, a few years ago I was preaching, uh, it was, I think it wasn't too far into uh, me preaching at all, so I'd only preached a few sermons and I was preaching in Fairy Grove, actually, uh, this small little country Baptist church. <laughs> and uh, when I was there, I, I remember being so nervous that I think when I was walking in, I can't remember exactly when it happened, but I I was using paper notes like I am now because I guess I'm old school, but uh, I dropped my papers on the ground and then I, you know, I shuffle them back up, put them together. And I'm like, okay. And I'm all nervous. I'm getting really worried about the message as I'm waiting in worship. You know, it's it's easy to do that. You kind of psych yourself out. You're like, oh, my goodness, here we go. Uh, So. Um, so I'm, I'm there at this church. I'm visiting. These people don't even know me. And I walk up and I introduce myself. The beginning's okay. I'm like, all right, we got this. It's going okay. And then before I know it. I'm like halfway into my concluding point, that was like the climactic ending of the message, and it's like near. It's, I'm like five minutes in, and I'm like, oh no! <laughs> I'm like, this is not okay. Like, there is a specific order. I put my notes in, and I guess I completely shuffled that that mess and uh, ruined the whole thing and the entire message. I'm not even kidding. I could never like get get it get back on track. Like the whole time I was trying to recover, and it just was super awkward, and to make things worse, at the end of the message, uh, I go down, and I sit down in the back row, and I'm just thinking, oh man, this is awful, but I'm sure the worship team will come up, we'll kind of smooth things over, and then I guess they were having a business meeting that night, Was that was only open for members, and the pastor walks to me while everyone's sitting there silently, and he's like, oh hey, we're going to have our business meeting now, if you can leave, <laughs> so so then I just left, <laughs> and I was like, man, that was one of the most awkward times of my life, most uncomfortable situations, Carol was there, you can ask her about it, and I'm sure I was red in the face like crazy, but anyway, I think it's important, Uh, order can be very important, and God has order to how he calls us to do things, and today we want to look at that in this text. Um, Before we get there, I want to give you a little bit of context into 1 Thessalonians and then specifically the section that we're in. So a lot of the book of First Thessalonians is a letter written by Paul, and he's writing about the second coming of Christ. So he's, he's reminding, he's encouraging, he's challenging believers, uh, saying Jesus is coming back. We all believe as a church that Jesus, our Savior, our King, will return. And I think that it was so... Um, so heavy on the minds of of the apostles of believers in that day uh, that even though he hasn't today, I think they lived like he was coming back in their lifetime. I think that was the urgency, and uh, you know I think about urgency, and I think I had a, had a conversation this week with Zach, uh, our pastor Zach here our staff about how like we talk about the urgency of Jesus coming back and a lot of times we think of like okay well we better buy up all the toilet paper get all the canned goods better build a bunker we better buy up some ammo because Jesus is coming back it's like wait what <laughs> like, okay the urgency here isn't physical it's spiritual we've got a limited time on this earth and in the time that we have we want to be used for the glory of God we want to make an impact in the kingdom God's uh, spirit to work through our lives. So uh, in this context Paul's been talking about the the coming of Christ um, and then in the verses leading up to our passage you'll see a lot of things Paul challenging them to do He says rejoice always pray continually you know he, he says a lot of different things that he's challenging encouraging them to do and I think that uh, maybe like me I, I, at least for me I get, overwhelmed easily, sometimes want to hear a long list of things that I should be doing or not doing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, okay, that I, you lost me after like three or four things. But I think here at the beginning of our passage, Paul wants to give them a little bit of peace, a little bit of comfort um, in all that he's calling them to and all that God's spirit is challenging Paul and using Paul to admonish them toward. Um, and in verse 23, it's, it starts with this. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So the God of peace, we know that we have peace with God because in Romans chapter 5 it says therefore having been justified with God through by faith Uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus brought peace between us and the Father. So now we live in this place of peace, uh, in a relationship of peace with God. And I I think that's such an amazing starting point to have with the Father, so that we're not always scrapping to try to make him happy, but we realize that we already have peace there with him. Um, The other piece of encouragement uh, that I think that this verse starts with is not only that, uh, he calls him the God of peace. We know he's the God of, of all things that are good. We know that he is one God, uh, but, but he wants to, to tell us of God's peace, but then he says himself, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. God isn't just interested in your sanctification, he's invested in it. God wants to work through your life, not just uh, say, I want you to do these things. He actually wants to equip and empower you to all that he's called you to do. Um, so in verse 24, you also see that. And and it says, now may the, sorry, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So we see that what, what we're called to do in the Christian life is God is partnering with us. He's bringing us in and in this relationship with him, he's guiding us through life. He's not calling us to do something distant and, you know, if we meet these requirements, we can be in his presence. He's walking with us arm in arm, and he wants to, to build us up, to bring us into sanctification. But that doesn't mean that we're passive. That doesn't mean that we're just, uh, we're just watching on the sidelines. We're actually involved in this work that he has for us. Um, so I think the reason, too, that, you know, that God doesn't just force us to obey um, is because God values relationship um, you know he could he could force our obedience for us to be made better and better and better um, but he knows that if it's not from our desires then that's not a relational uh, way, way to interact with us it would just be a forceful way and I think that he values our love for him more highly than our cooperation that's good, So what do we what kind of life? Uh, is God leading us into. Paul prays in agreement with God's spirit that their whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And before I dive into spirit, soul, and body, which is what we'll spend a lot of our time on, it says, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking about that, and it was like, man, that could be easy to just kind of write off as one of those things where it's like, well, this must be talking about salvation, because it says the word blameless, so it's nothing about us growing, nothing about sanctification, nothing about spiritual maturing, nothing like that, it must just be uh, our position, who we are in Christ is is blameless, but I I actually think that through Scripture we see that the word blameless is used in in a way that's conditional, um, in a way that uh, obviously we, we don't achieve sinless perfection, we know that. Uh, we're, we're not able to attain to the perfection of God, we just have the righteousness of God in our account. Uh, we know that it's God's righteousness, not our own. But God calls us to live holy lives, to live lives that are set apart for his purposes and for his glory. And I just wanna point out a couple passages that might highlight that. Um, in Genesis chapter 17, God calls Abraham to be blameless. Um, In Philippians chapter two, verse 14 and 15, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So he calls them to be blameless. And then in 1 Timothy chapter three, it's actually a qualification for an overseer, for a bishop that they be uh, above reproach or in some translations, it says blameless. Um, so this is not just something that that's about our position of who we are in God through Christ Jesus and his righteousness on our account, but it's something that he calls us into. And that doesn't mean absolute perfection, but what it does mean is that it's a walk with God, that it's a continual, persistent walk with God. Not that it's just doing my best day by day, but that it's continually, uh, being close to and abiding in the presence of Jesus. And as we do that, uh, the the spotless lamb, Christ himself, is transforming us to be more and more like himself. So um, that all being said, that it's a challenge, that it's something that, we're called to do here in this passage that that God's desire and Paul's challenge and his prayer for these believers and for us by extension is that now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. He says at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we, we, we know that Jesus is coming back but I don't think uh, there's a whole lot of focus on that day to day. At least I struggle to think that way is like, okay, I don't want to live just for today because I know that my king is coming back and I want to, I know that I'm going to have to give an account uh, for all that I've done in the body, whether for good or for evil. Um, so in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 it says, for, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. So we're all going to give an account to Jesus. We're, we know that he's coming back. We're going to give an account, and Paul is challenging them. In 1 in, uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 here, he's saying, guys, we want our spirit, our soul, and our body to be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I, I think about him coming back. I think about the return of Jesus, and I just want to be able to, I mean, there's a verse that talks about people shrinking in shame at his coming. I, I don't think that's talking about unbelievers. I think that the context clearly shows us that it's about believers who know that they didn't live a faithful life. It's God handing us this precious gift of salvation, nothing that we've earned, nothing that we've achieved. And then now that we have salvation now that we've been made right with God by the blood of Jesus, this amazing sacrifice, this amazing life, this spiritual revival that took place in our hearts. And then God says, when he comes back, what did you do with all the life that I gave you? What'd you do uh, with the time that you had? what did you do um, with your spirit, with your soul and with your body? How did you use that for, for your own glory or, or for mine? And I think when, so that's the context here. I don't, I don't want to take this first and out of its context. I want to keep it right where it is. Um, but I want to spend a little bit of time talking about and defining spirit, soul, and body. Um, I think I have a slide about, yeah, there it is. So spirit, it's immaterial and it connects us to God. The soul is the seat of the mind, the emotion, and the will. So we think, we feel, Um, we desire with our soul. And then our body uh, is how we experience life physically through the five senses, you know, through sight, hearing, taste, touch, smell, and whatever one I forgot, hearing, I don't know. (laughs) Or maybe I said them all, I don't know. But those five senses is how we experience the world around us. And so Paul is praying that their whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Yeah. there are some people who wouldn't make a distinction between the spirit and the soul. They would say that the two are used interchangeably throughout scripture. I don't really believe that, but I will say that I don't think that's anything to, you know, uh, cause any friction or uh, division over that. Um, And I think that either way, you see spirit and soul is the inner man and the, the body is the outer man. And God's priority and his desire is for us to be transformed inwardly uh, before we start trying to clean up the outside. Um, so as I'm contrasting these, I wanna, I wanna read this verse for us in Romans chapter eight. Verse 15, it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So we... we connect with God through the spirit and then the soul, um, you know, we, we, we connect to our earthly atmosphere. You know, we, we sense things through our body, but then, then we, uh, make decisions. We think, we feel, and we have desires through our soul. So we see these, these things contrasted, but then, uh, I think I've got another slide here that I want to talk to us about, um, Salvation and the tenses of salvation. So a lot of people, you probably heard this before where someone said, God saved my soul. I don't, you know, I'm not gonna be nitpicky, but to be technically accurate, uh, when you are saved, when you were born again, God saved your spirit. Uh, your spirit was made right with God and our soul is being made right with God. And then our body will be made complete and whole. Uh, you know, whenever we leave this earth and God gives us new bodies and heavenly bodies. Um, So in one sense, we've been delivered from sin's punishment, but right now we're being delivered from sin's power. And then one day we'll be delivered from sin's presence. I didn't come up with that alliteration. I just want to point that out. I'm hearing the applause and I'm like, okay. (laughs) But hey, yeah, let's give it up for whoever did that some reformed theologian, no doubt. But anyway, uh, uh, and the next thing I want to point out with us, uh, right here is that one is being the spirit is, uh, really kind of like who we are. Uh, soul is thinking our belief, and then our body is our actions, our behavior. Um, so there, there's distinctions between these three things but there's also a proper order that God wants us to prioritize. God is concerned with each. None of them are unimportant to God. God cares what we do with our bodies. He cares how we think. He cares how we feel. He cares about all of that, but he really doesn't want us to try to get to God in our spirit uh, through cleaning up our actions. There's, there's a certain process, a certain way that God desires us uh, to operate. And that's from the inner man to the outer man. God does his work from the inside out. Uh, so parents in the room, I, I think you guys would probably agree that the end all uh, hope for your children isn't just that they be obedient to whatever you call them to do, right? I mean, maybe it is for some of us. I don't know. <laughs> just If you'll just obey what I said, then I'll be happy. I don't care how you feel. Uh, <laughs> just do it, okay? I don't know how you feel about it, but I think that as parents who love our kids, uh, our desire goes beyond just obedience, but that their desires would be uh, that they would start understanding why we want their obedience, why it's important that they, they would desire to obey because it's what God's called them to, not just because they're going to get in trouble if they don't, right? That it's not just fear-based, that it's relational-based because they love God uh, you guys as parents that they love their father in heaven and they want to be obedient because that's what love looks like. Um, so in the same way, I don't think if God just wanted our, our obedience, you know, God would have just forced it. Um, but God's patient with us. And, uh, you know, Jesus had some things to say about people who wanted to just clean up the outside. Uh, to look good on the outside without allowing God to work on their inner self. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 28, says this, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean.'" Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which, are outwardly, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's some pretty strong words, <laughs> right? I, I, I think when I, when I look through the gospels and when I read about the life of Jesus... You know, the times that I actually see him getting upset, I'd always expect it to be whenever someone's living in some outrageous sin. You know, if someone's living in some moral promiscuity or someone's, you know, uh, just completely blaspheming God's name, something like that, I just thought that would be the thing that would just drive Jesus nuts in the gospels. But when you look at his life, the time that he really seems to be frustrated the most is with people who try to clean up the outside of their lives while their hearts are far from God people who are leading people astray with this outward persona of, I love God, but it's really not true. Their heart is far from God and all they care about is man's approval and not God's. So I think that this order eliminates the possibility of us being, uh, looking like we're close to God, but not really being, because if we're first transformed in our spirit and then that permeates our soul, which transforms the way that we live in our bodies then God knows that he has all of us and that his spirit is working and operating in every part and every aspect of our lives. So God isn't interested in self-help. He wants his spirit to permeate our entire being to transform us from the inside out. Simply put, God isn't pleased with outer transformation if it isn't produced by inner renewal. What does it look like to get this order right? So how do we do this thing God's way, right? I got just a couple points for us. Uh, One is that we prioritize being with God over doing for God. And that's, man, that's been something that we've been talking about as a staff. Uh, We we did this uh, self-evaluation thing uh, recently where you're kind of just filling out these different answers. And one of the sections in there was being with God over doing for God. And that's something that I would have liked to think that I was a lot better at. The results showed that I was not so so hot in this area. <laughs> and unfortunately, like I think that even preparing for this message, it's easy for me to say I need to spend as much time as I possibly can making notes as opposed to saying, God, I'm going to spend as much or more time in prayer so that, that you will equip me to say what I need to say. And that was a battle for me just in in writing this message, which is kind of about this topic. So just to show you how difficult it can be for me, I'm not gonna uh, pretend I got this thing figured out, but I do see it in scripture and something I wanna grow in. Yeah. But prioritizing being with God over doing for God, I think is is what God desires. And we I think we see that lived out in the life of Jesus. Um, I, I've heard Pastor Mark, say many times, and I think it's such a good point for us to, to see, is that Jesus, even after uh, you know feeding multitudes or doing amazing things, he would resort back to, to be alone with God in prayer. That, that Jesus uh, prioritized his time with the Father, um, not being distracted by anything else, but just being in his presence. And, and if Jesus did that, How much more, you know, if he did that as our example, how much more do people like us who are so easily distracted by the things of life and the cares of life need to be resting at the feet of Jesus, hearing from his spirit, allowing his spirit to transform our spirit and how we think and how we operate. So we abide in Christ, we dwell in his word, we behold his glory and we seek him in prayer. Um, I know there's a lot more to say about that one. Uh, but the second thing I want to bring up is also that we discern using primarily spiritual truth, not physical experience. So how do we do this thing God's way? How do we, how do we work from the spirit to the soul, to the body, or from the inner man to the outer man? We prioritize being with God over doing for God, but we also discern using primarily spiritual truth, not physical experience. God will de- deposit things into our spirits that our souls can't handle and our experiences can't explain. God will des- deposit things into your spirit that your soul can't handle and your experiences can't explain. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he talks about the spirit of man and the spirit of, of God. And I, I made reference to this passage, but I was making a different point a couple times ago that I was up here. So um yeah, it's like one of my favorite passages. So sorry, sorry about reusing the same one. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he, he talks about... I'm just going to turn there real quick, actually. Um, I kept debating on how much of it to read. I think it's all helpful. And then at some point you read too much and it's distracting. So, you know, <laughs> try to stay with me and I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'll start in verse 11. It says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person doesn't accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. I think this passage is powerful and I don't think I even understand all that it means. I think it's deep and it's interesting, but I think there's something here for us to, to gather for the topic that we're on today and seeing how um, we can discern using spiritual truth instead of our physical experiences. God calls us to use the wisdom that, that's imparted through the spirit to our spirit, not just how we experience life, not just, you know, um, I, I know that person, They're, they're a huge jerk. (laughs) They've been annoying every time I've ever seen them. I I don't even want to spend time talking to them. I'm not going to look their way because I don't want any conversation to strike up. But God's spirit might be saying to your spirit, go talk to them because their heart is ready now. But you'd never know that your physical experience tells you there's no way that their heart is open or able to hear anything that you might want to say through me. I've seen them. They're a closed book. They're done. But God's spirit, knows things that our spirit doesn't. God's spirit knows things that we don't understand and he wants us to be listening and abiding in his spirit for his spirit to transform the way that our spirit thinks. Because our spirits um, have feelings and our spirits think as well. I've seen that in in scripture too. Honestly, spirit and soul has gotten kind of messy for me too. The more I studied, the more I got confused. Um, But I think I can hold to this in scripture. We have the inner man and the outer man And God speaks to us in our inner man before he expects us to live out what he's called us to in the outer man. So God will deposit things into our spirits that our souls can't handle and our experiences can't explain. Um, By the way, this passage, I think it's interesting. Um, I used to think that the passage was just talking about believers and unbelievers that some people can understand spiritual truth. Um, and that would be believers. And then other people can't because the natural mind can't understand those things because they're spiritually discerned. Uh, but in the context, it says, yeah, among in verse six, yet yeah, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Um, it's not just a matter of being saved or not saved, whether or not you can understand spiritual truth. It's whether or not you're mature spiritually. Um, and I know that to double down on that in the beginning of the next chapter he says i can't address you as spiritual people but as infants in christ so they're in christ right they're saved but they're not mature they're not developed and i don't think this development has anything to do with first and second class christians but what i think it has to do with is our senses our spiritual senses can be trained by the constant seeking and constant sitting at the feet of jesus So when we're in the presence of God, he's depositing into our spirit more and more. And among the mature, we impart this wisdom, not taught by human words or human understanding, but taught by the spirit of God, interpreting spiritual truths to those that are spiritual. So I think that two things, we prioritize uh, being with God over our doing for God, and we discern using primarily spiritual truth and not physical experience. Our physical experience will take us all kinds of places, right? Like, you guys, you guys would probably agree that um, if you just used your experience, that'll probably guide you to, to think and to feel things and to probably not really live your life for God so much. And if you were trying to live for God, you would completely compartmentalize everything, <laughs> right? It's like, okay, I'll live for you, but I'm not going to with them, not with them. Uh, my experience with them is pretty weird, so I'm just going to ignore them. You know, like, we would compartmentalize the heck out of everything we do if it was from the, from the body to the spirit, but from the spirit to the body, he transforms everything through his spirit. And along with understanding that spiritual truth um, comes into our spirit from God. Colossians tells us that in Jesus and him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So every single thing that we need to know uh, for life, for godliness, God's given us access to through His Spirit, through His Word, um, and, and in Christ. So when we abide in Jesus, we're literally hanging out with all the wisdom and knowledge that the, the world could ever hold. <laughs> so we're, we're we're at no uh, there's no point in our lives. I, I've I've heard it said this way that the, the Bible is so deep that the the smartest theologian could drown in in the Bible, but the uh but shallow enough that anyone could swim in it or something like that, I Probably just butchered that. But <laughs> the idea is that you know there's no there's no limit to all that God can continue to pour into our spirits. God wants to continually shape, train, and mold us to be more and more like him. but also I lo- what I love about this spiritual wisdom is when it's hitting our spirit before it's hitting just our minds. Um, it's not something it's, the Bible says knowledge puffs up, right? Uh, So it's not just knowledge that puffs our brain up like, oh, I'm smart. I know that. I know this. God's not going to continue doing that. But through his spirit and and, uh, in us growing in maturity, he's going to keep pouring things into our life that'll be useful, things that will actually change and transform the way that we live. And when we apply those things, it's a sign of that maturity as well. So we renew our minds by setting them on the things of the spirit. And uh, you know, that's a familiar verse in Romans chapter 12, It says that um, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Um, and it says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by discerning you may test what is, uh, what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we're, we're not to be conformed to this world, right? That would be our physical experience, but we'll be transformed by the renewal of our mind and our minds are transformed in our, our, uh, when we're in the presence of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter three, it talks about the spirit of God working in our lives and, and that we don't have a veil keeping us from seeing the glory that is in Christ. Um, and it says that when we look to the Lord, he transforms us. When we behold his glory, he's transforming us from one degree of glory to another. So I think that's his spirit working through our spirit and transforming us and changing us rather than just, uh, you know, our physical experiences shaping us. But it doesn't only talk about the mind being renewed in Romans chapter 12. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, it says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I thought that was kind of a weird phrasing, right? The spirit of your minds. How are we renewed in the spirit of your minds? I think that not only do we have thoughts and thought processes, but we have, you know, not just a mind, but a mindset, uh, a viewpoint, right? It says the spirit of your minds, not just how your thoughts thoughts flow, but where they flow from. Um, And God wants even that to be renewed. And I think that's what God's calling us to is, is pouring into our spirit is changing not just our thoughts, but where those thoughts come from. Everything from the core, from the ground up is God's spirit changing and renewing us. So uh, we know that with these points that we wanna be, you know, we wanna be with God overdoing for God, and we want our minds, our souls to be uh, shaped by, by the things of the spirit, not the things in, in the world. But then in conclusion, we know that that truth will set us free. Um and worship team you guys can come up. The truth will set us free. Um so God desires in every part of our of our lives, in our in our main passage it says our whole spirit, our whole soul, our whole body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God desires for every part of our lives to be brought into conformity with His will, with His design, with His desires, with all that He wants for our lives. Um, so when our, when our lives are shaped by his truth, by his presence, by who he is, uh, then that's going to have an impact on every aspect of our lives. I started by talking about the context of 1 Thessalonians. You guys remember that? the you know Being kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus' uh, return is imminent. It's coming soon. It's coming sometime. We don't know when, And I'm not going to, you know, get up here and give, throw out a date. And if I did, it would just be a joke. And then someone would take it seriously and start a cult or something. So (laughs) anyway, I won't go there, but, uh, but we know that Jesus is coming back. In first Corinthians chapter three, Paul talks about a similar thing. You know, how, um, with, hello, hello. Uh, with with knowing that he's coming back, Paul wants to challenge them to be changed in spirit, soul, and body, that it be kept blameless um, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter three, Paul talks a little bit about rewards or things that you know, uh, things that will result from the life that we live in the body. First Corinthians chapter three, verse ten, it says, "According to the grace of God given to me." Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Uh, how, how important is it that our spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Why, why is it how Paul concludes an entire letter written about uh, mostly about the second coming of Christ, of things to come. He, you know, he writes to encourage, to challenge, to clarify, to do different things. But really, the theme of the mess- the letter is the second coming of Christ. And then he ends with this prayer. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here in First Corinthians chapter three, he's challenging us the same same writer, same, same apostle, Paul is challenging us. And he talks about this, these rewards. He says, we can, we can lay up, uh, gold, silver, precious stones, or we can lay up wood, hay, and straw. You know, you know, some of those, uh, can be preserved through fire and some will be burned up and never to be useful for anything. And it's not so much about whether or not we do good enough to get into heaven or go, we go to hell. We know that that's all a matter of grace. And it's a gift from God, freely given through Christ and what he's done on the cross for us. But in this life, we are investing into spiritual things or into earthly things that don't last. And I think it's interesting. Not only does it say to to build on this foundation with things that last, that are that are gonna endure the fire, things that are gonna be uh, result in, in in a in a reward. You know, I want I want my life to to end uh, where I come to Jesus and I stand before Him and I give an account of my life and there's something that's not burned up. Hopefully, more than something. But I wonder, you know, if I look back at the last few years of my life, I'm like, man, how much of that was for me? Even the things that I did well in the body, right? We talk about the order, the things that I did well that looks good on the outside, like the Pharisees, I'm clean, I'm doing good. You know, I'm up here, I've got a microphone, so I must be doing something right. You know, that kind of thing where it looks like all outward. I wonder how much of that God's gonna reveal to me in that day where I stand before him, that you did that all for your own praise and for your own glory. That, do you do that for me or do you do that for yourself? And I think that our intentions uh, will be revealed in that day. But I think it's interesting. The last verse I'm going to read for us, it says in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? I don't want to make something out of it if it's not actually here, but God's temple is three part, parts, the, the outer court, uh, the sanctuary, and then the holy of holies, the inner part. there's the inner and the outer and the inner is divided into two parts the, the holy place and the holy of holies and it says that our body is the temple of the holy spirit which means God's spirit is in our in every aspect of our lives he's in our body, he's in our spirit, he's in our soul and he's transforming all of those things so when we look to God when we're spending time in his presence God is transforming us from the inside out so tonight or today, this morning, what I want to challenge us to, and what I want to I pray, and what I want us to be doing as we hear, as we worship, as we think on this, as we meditate on the word that we've heard today, is: What am I doing with my life? Is my am I living from the body up to the spirit, or am I allowing God's spirit to work through me, uh, and then my actions just being the overflow of what God's already doing inside of me? Um, and then with that, knowing that Jesus is coming back. Am I, is the account that I'm going to give going to be pleasing to the Lord? Am I going to be able to have things that endure because they were done solely for God? Because I, I rested in God, because I looked? Or is it going to be burned up because it was all for myself? And I think that's a challenging thought, but it's something that we have the option to live in the spirit or live for, for our own desires. And I would just pr- pray and ask uh, that during this time that we give those things to the Lord. So I'm gonna pray and, and we'll worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you clarify things. We thank you for uh, the fact that your spirit works through your word, God, that you give clarity, that you give uh, so much direction to our lives, God, that, that all the commands that you give us that are, that are for our good. And, God, that you empower and equip us to to live it out. So, God, thank you for not being absent, but for being present with us in all that you call us to do. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.